everybody. Welcome to Southeast Whitetail. I'm Mark Haslam, and I appreciate you clicking play on this week's episode. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, my hunt last week, uh, chasing velvet bucks at our farm in South Carolina. Um, I won't dive into too much else um, for some of the other hunters. Uh, Josh Hilliard from First Light came down uh, with the camera crew, and they – film some hunts and um, I'm hoping to get him on the next week or so talk about um, his experiences down and down in the south hunting early in August and uh, we also had another uh, special guest uh, Mr. Brantley an 11 year old boy um, who is uh, is facing a lot of challenges right now he's already lost eyesight um, and his left eye and he's expected to lose complete eyesight within the next two months. So um, I'll talk more about that later. He he's uh, later in another episode. He was unable to um, uh, get on a buck when he came in last week. He hunted very hard, but he's going to come back in a couple of weeks. Um, I think you know about two weeks, and at that point, uh, does will be legal to will be legal to shoot so hopefully we can get him on this first year so um without any further ado we'll just kind of go go into the hunts i really just kind of share my my hunts last week and then um like i said when i get josh hilliard hilliard on from, from first light we can you know touch on the rest of the week and his hunts and um you know how how all that went but you know i went into the week um feeling pretty confident that you know but between you know four or five hunters that we should you know maybe fill two or three butt tags uh we've got some peanuts in the farm uh that's a very good strategy to hunt over not necessarily you know you might hunt over them in the evenings but i like to play a lot off um where they're going to be feeding at night where they're going to be feeding throughout the night um, so not necessarily necessarily feed, not necessarily easy for me to say, hunting over the ag or the food plots, but rather hunting them in the morning as they are coming off those uh, food sources and going back to bedding. So um, that's how uh, the buck I shot, how that came together. But I'll just start off. I, I started hunting last Tuesday. Um First Tuesday morning, I climbed in the big timber. Same type thing. I I climbed up against a um, a clear cut uh, that had been regrown for a couple of years. Nice, good bedding thicket, and uh, where I was climbing was uh, some you know about twenty five year old loblolos had been thinned a couple of times and burned, and it's a good area for deer to kind of mill through uh, and eat and browse on the way back to bedding. Tuesday morning, I didn't see anything. Um, I saw one identified unidentified deer. I could not tell what it was, and I saw three three coyotes, and they were chasing a rabbit and just kind of hunting around. Um, Tuesday afternoon, I sat on on a soybean field and um, saw some does and and fawns and small bucks. And, you know, like I said earlier, we can't shoot uh, does in this part of South Carolina until September 15th. And right about 8.15, uh, I had a nice bachelor group that came in, but they were, shoot, they were 300 plus yards away, uh, about 8.15. And last legal light was probably just after 8.20. So, you know, I could only see some antlers 
Uh, I got one kind of profile shot as, as one buck was looking away. I could tell he was a shooter, at least one, probably two of them, but I couldn't tell anything else, you know, beyond that. Slipped out of there. Uh, thankfully, pretty stealth-like. I don't, I don't think I bumped, def, definitely didn't bump those bucks. And so based on that, what I saw Tuesday evening, I went in Wednesday morning to potentially try to catch up with that bachelor group, maybe as, uh, you know, watching how they enter the field. I was guessing maybe where, where they were betting. Uh, I mean, it could be kind of one of probably three areas, and I uh, chose one area and just, you know, no luck. I saw some does and small bucks and actually two, two big old fat gobblers, which was very nice to see on that, on that particular track. Uh, and that was, you know, Wednesday, um, the hunt Wednesday morning. Wednesday afternoon, I went back in that soybean field and I went in the middle of the day about one, about one o'clock and I set up a tripod that would cut the distance uh, from, um, the bachelor group I saw, uh, on Tuesday night. So I, I set up a tripod and now that bachelor group were to have come back into that soybean field, this roughly the same location. It would have been about a hundred yard shot. Um, I just saw several doe groups. There were some young bucks, but they were in those doe groups. Although I did see a small spike. I will say that he got right on top of my, um, climber. I mean, he was so close. I could have lobbed um, I mean, I kind of lobbed a, a penny at him and hit him. I never did see, uh, where he went. He just kind of disappeared. Didn't seem like he winded me, but he moseyed on. So that was the hunts from all day Tuesday and all day Wednesday. And so going into Thursday's hunt, I was planning on going to another property. I, you know, at, at that point, I wanted to see some different areas, try my luck, we woke up Thursday morning and it was raining and, you know, it was, it's been raining down here in the Southeast pretty much like every single day. Well, this rain, it wasn't just showers. It was some good thunderstorms and uh, they started well before daybreak, an hour or two before daybreak and looking at the radar um, as we were at the house, trying to figure out what the plans were, it looked like we were going to have rain for most of the morning and we were going to have some heavier rain, some lighter rain, but it was going to rain most of the morning. So at that point, I was trying to, you know, decide, was I just going to, you know, stay at the house a little bit longer and go in later? I was like, you know what, you can't do that this time of year because this time of year, a lot of deer, especially bucks, they're going to be up, you know, on their feet, on their hooves, uh, feeding all night and you know you don't know if they're going to hit the fields or or maybe hit some of that burned timber um so that natural forage you know an hour before dark or are they going to show up at midnight you just don't know um and of course you have no idea when they're going to slip back in the bedding but my experience is a lot of times these bucks they will feed all night i mean it's the coolest part of every single day and then they'll make their way back to bedding uh, within an hour, hour and a half of first light. So, you know, if I were to stay at the house and uh, wait till after the rain, it's not like the rut. These deer aren't going to be moving all day throughout the day in, the, in, these, in this open area. So you've got to go out and you got to get set up. And we have some covered, you know, a lot of covered stands with, with some roofs on it. And that's what, that's what a couple of the hunters did that particular morning. But, you know, I, um, 
there wasn't really a, a permanent fixed stand with a roof that I wanted to sit over. I mean, there were some I could have, but I didn't want to f- sit on a food source. And um, I, I wanted to climb, and that was my plan. So I went out in the rain. Um, it was a good steady rain. It wasn't a torrential downpour, but it was one of those rains where you're just going to get soaked. I mean, if you're out there for an hour, doesn't matter what kind of rain gear you have, uh, your, your you know, bino harness, your, you know, scope's going to get wet and fog up. And so, you know, I'm wearing a rain jacket that doesn't breathe, obviously. And it's like, I'm, I'm just steaming out there. I mean, it's not hot necessarily, but it's not really cold. Um, so it's, it's pretty steamy, uh, fogged up, you know, binoculars, rifle scope lens. And um, it took a while to really kind of see well because because it was so overcast and raining, I had a, I had two doe groups that came by at first light, going back to bedding, and um, you know my setup was very similar to the 2019 box that I killed. I mean, really, I was within um, maybe 200 yards of those two of those two velvet boxes I shot in uh, 2019, and it, it was the same thing that I described earlier. It was a thin loblolly stand, probably had been thin twice. Uh, yes, I think has been thin twice at this point. It's been burned several times on a good three, four-year burn rotation. A lot of good cover in there, browse, and then it's flush up against uh, a pine thicket that was clear-cut and replanted maybe 10 years ago. It's a good thicket. And so um, I climbed, found a, found a good pine tree that was kind of up against an oak. So my climber faces the tree. And then the oak, which was right behind me, the branches were kind of flush up against my back all around me. So I had this, I had excellent concealment. Um, the only concern was I was on a couple of good trails, but there were a number of, of oaks mixed in that little pine block, very similar to where I was. I mean, very similar to the oak behind me. And that just creates some, um, creates some blind spots. To where you really can't see and sure enough about 7 15 um i'm in my climber you know just not moving you know just looking around just simply moving my eyes and that's the year just standing there like 35 yards just standing there i could tell it was a buck with my eyes you know i didn't want to bring i didn't want to raise my binos up in case you know he would have seen some movement he was looking my direction but not necessarily looking at me so, you know, I could tell it was a buck, but I could not tell how big it was, even at 35 yards, just because it was so, it, it was still gray light at that point. And this is about 45 minutes after first light. It was still, you know, kind of dark enough, and I just couldn't see too well. Um, he started to move a little bit, kind of, he took a couple steps forward, turned the side a little bit, and got under a blind spot on this oak tree. So, he provided a nice little cover for me at that point I went ahead and raised my rifle and I've learned from mistakes that when you have a buck in front of you um if you if you raise your binos first to glass them in your binos you run the risk of just burning time and that buck leaving and it happened to me once in the 2016 season I had a buck that came out on a trail when I was climbing I made the mistake of raising my binos up looked at them liked them went and raised my gun up and he's gone. And if I would have raised my gun first, I could have got shot off. So when this buck on Thursday went behind that blind spot, I uh, raised my gun up 
And uh, that point, you know, I had to scale my scale my scope back, you know, scale it down so I could, you know, get, get the buck um, in the crosshairs and see it well. I could tell he was a shooter uh, outside the ears, tall rack, nine point, full velvet. And, um, you know, he he's angling towards me. It's a it's a quartering two shot. And he's on the trail that this tree is right on top of. And the wind was really squirrely all last week. I mean, it was shifting just around. It was just shifting every which direction around the compass last week. And it was actually hitting me on my left ear and kind of blowing diagonal across my face. So if I didn't go and get a shot off, I would run the risk of him potentially winding me. Um, And, you know, According to shot, it's something that you, you know, if you, if you practice your rifle and you shoot it um, and you know what it does and you're confident in doing it, it's a shot you can take. And I've done it before, but it's always been close range shots. It's never been, it's never been shots over maybe like 75, 80 yards. And, you know, I'll put the bullet right between a shoulder and the chest, just bury it in there. And a lot of times it'll, I mean, same thing that happened uh, on Thursday. The bullet went in, blew up one shoulder, blew up the vitals, the lungs, the heart, and it never even went into the um, in the guts. It, it, didn't, it didn't take out any of the guts. Um, the bullet got hung up up front, and and then the, and there was no exit. So in one way, that's bad because if you don't have an exit, you're probably not going to have any blood whatsoever. However. If there's no exit, that deer has taken a seven mag bullet, 150 grains completely in absorbing that, that all that force. So he's not going to go that far. And he didn't, he, you know, took the shot, jumped up and then landed and then did a U-turn and kind of did that classic J-hook and he was down within 50 yards max. Um, I waited a little bit before I went down to check on him and, um, I was still blown away. I mean, it was, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it still surprises me to this day when like a plan like that works out. It shouldn't because I do that. I do those kind of hunts all the time and they work, but the percentage of times where it works is, you know, it's pretty low. Yes. I kill bucks that way, but at the same time, like how many times I do it and how many times I pull the trigger and fill a tag or it's, you know, a pretty, a pretty low percentage. So, but you know, it, it was, uh, the buck was incredible. Um, I did not extract the jawbone yet and I didn't rip the jawbone. I, I didn't rip the jaw open to like, look at the jawbone yet because I'm going to get a shoulder mount. Uh, I've already dropped it off the processor. I will get the jawbone agent. I'm guessing he is four. Um, I don't think he's five. I'm guessing he's four. Uh, he weighed 194 pounds, uh, very healthy deer. And I'm just, you know, very much blown away by him. And, um, that right there, I mean, like that hunt I just described is a product of habitat work, you know, work in the land. And here's why is because we've created a hub on our property of uh, food plots and there's some ag fields too, but we've created a hub of food plots that are somewhat centered on our property. And so of course you can hunt over them afternoons. I mean, afternoons are better than mornings on bigger fields, but think about this. How many deer do you think are using like large food plots throughout the night? It's going to be a lot of them. And we have a series of them, 
you know, it gives them variety. It gives them options. In those food plots, we've got straight soybeans planted. We've got straight sun hemp. And then we have a mix uh, that we got from Watermaker Seed in St. Matthew, South Carolina. Uh, great, great place. We've been buying seed there for years. Uh, that mix is sun hemp, soybeans, buckwheat, and I think Red River peas. And uh, it, it's just a big, it's just a thick, nasty uh, food plot. So, so we got fields, all those mixed together. And then there's some peanut fields not too far away. So that gives deer options. And so they'll go from one site to uh, one site to the other. They might bed down a little bit throughout the night. And then first light comes and they're going to make their way back to bedding. So you have that kind of hub that they're going to feed around throughout the night. Because why are they going to do that all night? Because again, it's the coolest part of any any given day throughout the summer and you know August and really quite frankly September too before it really get, before it really cools down and then the other side it was like well how do you know where they're gonna bed well you know when people talk about buck beds I can't relate to that I don't hunt quote buck beds I don't go out and scout and find individual buck beds yes I have found some stumbling on them but 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 that doesn't mean anything to me really because deer in the southeast can bed anywhere and everywhere and they do bed anywhere and everywhere um, but they do like pine thickets and they do like bedding especially in this heat um, on some of these open pine pine stands to get sunlight you disturb the native seed bank and you've got some and you create food and cover for the deer so you know when you fragment your land and add diversity you've got you've got bedding thickets you've got food you've got thin timber you can really create and maintain where deer are going to bed now of course you're not going to put all the deer in in you know one particular bedding they're going to bed anywhere but you can primarily kind of concentrate them and that's what we've been doing and that's what i'm and that's exactly how i'm hunting uh early season bucks then you know past number of years i've been fortunate enough to fill tags and it's been climbing flush up against his bedding sites and catching these bucks come back uh from uh, feeding all night and i've read a couple of articles uh one's on southeast whitetail it's actually my first article I published about pine stand management. And then I wrote one for Meat Eater Wired to Hunt, came out, I think, April this past year. Same type thing. I mean, it's it it it's diversity, but it's also giving giving the deer, giving your herd what they need on your property. I mean, and you know, if you don't have a, a, you know, if you have a hundred acres or less, you might have to choose, you know, what you want, or maybe you can squeeze in a little bit of both, but that's why, you know, I always kind of preach that I personally feel that bedding is more important than having food plots or maybe even, even ag fields, get that thick bedding. Because right now when these deer, especially bucks are in their quote, summer schedule, I shouldn't say quote, I mean, they are on their summer schedule um, and they have been throughout the entire summer. And then leading up to my hunt last week, they're eating and they're hiding. They are, they, are, they are hiding during the day and they're eating all night and they've got to eat that six to 8% of the body weight every single day. So if they're not really moving much during the day, they should be out, you know, throughout the night consuming as much browse as they possibly can. So, you know, it's something to where, you know, if you want to hunt bucks early season in their natural movement, give them what they need, understand where they're going to feed, uh, throughout the night and then create that bedding so that you can hunt up against it. And uh, that's what I did. I, I'm, I'm just, you know, 
just just simply blown away by it. I mean, it's just one of those hunts to where, you know, when you have a plan like that, as far as specifically, you know, hunting, you know, a buck, it, 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 uh, it just, like I said, it always surprises me when it actually works out. And this particular buck, I am about 90% sure he's like the, he's the last year I saw my last hunt uh, in December of 21. I saw a buck uh, at last light. And if it's the same buck, which I can't prove, um, it would be kind of eerie because he did the same thing. It was my last hunt in December. And all of a sudden there was this buck that just appeared on my trail. Um, that time was about a hundred yards away. He was just standing there. And again, I couldn't tell if he was looking at me or he was definitely looking at my direction. And uh, I tried to get on him, but it just didn't, it didn't work out. But based on the rack, um, it's a very similar antler style. Doesn't mean that's necessarily him. The rack is a little bit bigger this year. So who knows, but that's my hunt. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited for that coming up next. We're going to take a little break. For the most part, uh, a buddy of mine, Corey Parker, shot a nice eight-point velvet buck Saturday night, too. I think my brother's going to hunt a little bit coming up, but we're going to – we don't really hunt a whole lot uh, until doe tags come out, which is September 15th. We can start shooting does. And um, got another doe tournament weekend scheduled for the last week in September, and that's that's our next plan. We're just going to get on these does um, early. We like to do them in September and try and take out as many antlerless deer as we possibly can. Uh, before the rut starts up because what we're seeing bucks do right now they're still in bachelor groups we'll we'll still 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 see them in bachelor groups throughout september some but most of them will be breaking up right now by september today september 1st our bucks in south carolina are most will mostly be out of velvet right now i mean right now they are right now there are millions of bucks in the south that are like losing their velvet right now they are peeling it right now and going hard horn. Testosterone start will start to you know spike, pick up steam pretty soon. They'll start hitting those scrapes, making more rubs, showing themselves, do a little sparring, figuring out the dominant bucks in the area, and then you're going to see that September shift to where like, and this is where people you know you get these bucks on camera throughout the summer, and then all of a sudden they go away. Well, they're shifting. So like you might have a buck. There was a, a big old 10 point we, we were trying to hunt last week and he was on our property. Uh, I, I knew where he was bedding. I knew where he was feeding at night. We, we did see him at 75 yards. Another hunter did, but we just couldn't get on him. Um, but in a couple of weeks to a month, he might, he might shift in his core area, might be pretty much off our property. So that's the thing about hunting these velvet bucks and running trail cameras throughout the summer and early, early fall. You don't really know what's going to stay on your property or you don't, and you don't know what new bucks will be off your property right now in their summer schedule. They're going to shift and come on your property and start chasing around some of these does. So it's a fun time of year. Get out there, but, you know, stay, stay confident and just be grounded and understand what these deer are doing. Because if you go out there, you don't get bucks on camera or they stop coming around. Don't get discouraged because there is right now over the next 30 days, 30, 45 days, there is going to be an influx of hunters in the South blowing the woods up, setting stands, feeders, hunting, bow hunting, whatever it is, they're going to be blowing the woods up, doing all kinds of work. So these deer all of a sudden haven't really been around humans or at least humans 
in their core areas, especially hunting in six, eight months. And all of a sudden we're in the woods and we're, they're going to notice it very quickly. So, and that's what absolutely will transition right in from that, from that September shift to the October low It's the human pressure. So stay grounded, don't get discouraged and just hunt, you know, go out there, um, you know, climb, hunt mobily, learn how your deer move, get off the food plots, hunt the food plots, but you don't have to hunt them directly over them, back off it a little bit, climb, set up a mobile tripod or something just to learn how your deer move. And I promise you, uh, you'll enjoy your property and you'll see a lot more deer. So thanks for listening. And um, um, we will get some more episodes out very soon. Um, it's been a big delay uh, with my podcast the past 30, 45 days, but we had, a, I was having some Wi-Fi issues and we finally figured out what it was. It was a damn Comcast X, Xfinity coax cable in our yard that we had to re replace. So it was wild goose chase. We figured it out and we're going to crank this up and keep on steamrolling throughout, th throughout this hunting season. Thanks for tuning in, tuning in. And remember Southeast whitetail is habitat conservation in venison. I'll see y'all next week.